Welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast. My name is Nathan, and um, as with all of the series of videos and blogs and podcasts, it's all centered around the idea of really simplifying life. And I really believe that um, over overwhelm and overthinking leads to underachievement. And so today's guest is going to, I guess, really help us to unpack and demystify some of the areas that are causing us literally great pain. In the workplace, we're really almost experiencing epidemic levels of of pain and um, really suffering from things which are, I would say, uh, pretty much almost preventable. So um, today, I'd like you to welcome um, Jack O'Brien. Hi, Nathan. Excited to be here. Awesome. So glad you said yes to coming on today's episode to talk about four key ways that we can optimize our performance at work. So I'm not just not only talking about, you know, our, our mindset and whatnot that we've discussed in other episodes, but I'm really getting down to, I guess, the physical things that we can do um, from a health standpoint. And um, so your background um, as a physio and a football player, um, you're the man to talk to about this. So just fill in some blanks and tell us about um, yourself, both professionally and personally. Yeah, sure. So I'm a physiotherapist by trade. Um, and so now I lead Terrace Physio Plus, um, physiotherapy clinic and massage therapy clinic across five locations throughout the Hunter region of New South Wales currently. Um, and so as a physiotherapist, we, we see all sorts of people and all sorts of pain. And so um, I'm really passionate as a physio, but also as a, as a business owner, as a professional now who spends a whole lot more time on a computer and less time um, face-to-face with people on optimizing performance, both myself and my clients. Um, pain is such an inhibitor, such a limiter um, for both our clients and for myself. And so to be able to maximize that and work on tips, tricks to get on top of pain um, is really exciting. I have a whole lot of fun with it. Yeah, and that's really great to hear because the one of the, I guess, the impetuses behind me wanting to invite you onto the show is that we are increasingly living in a digital culture, like a visual culture. So it's fantastic. The more visual we get, you know, the more creative and the more, um, I guess, more effective uh, in our uh, workloads we become. But we also spend more and more time sedentary. So we, like you were saying um, yesterday, we we drive to work in a seated position. We go to work, <laughs> maybe have a stand-up meeting for about 10 minutes, and then what do we do? We go and sit down again. And then we drive home in our cars seated to come home to Netflix in a seat. It's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. Exactly. Um, we get so much more done. It's such a, uh, a great um, environment for creativity, being on a computer and all the tools that are at our disposal. And yet we spend so many, so much, time in these postures that are repetitive and um, we're stuck in these same shapes all the time and we're not designed to be the shape of a chair. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that if we're going to be doing better at life, we need to be able to come home having, yes, toiled and really invested our effort wisely in in our day at work, but come home refreshed to be able to spend time in the next investment, which is our family or our home life and that kind of thing. So a lot of us don't come home excited about, yeah, you know, I've worked all day and I'm ready to come home and and love and and hang out with the people who are next up, which is my family. So why is it that that we think we just put all our focus on our nine to five and then kind of end up giving our crumbs to people after five? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I think we... um we end up pouring everything we have and everything inside of us into what we do and that's where we find our identity and that's where we find who we are and so um, 
bringing a whole of life approach to work, to health, to pain management um, is really important. Um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different aspects to life. And if we just focus on two or three at the neglect of one or two others, um, we don't have this well-rounded um, circle of life, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, obviously this is a growing area. And I really like how you mentioned um, how technology and the workplace and, and the work staff it all kind of like moves and changes at different uh, different speeds. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've ended up in a world now where we're super uber efficient digitally, but physically we're lagging behind. So in the same way you've moved your technology forward and your methods forward, we need to keep also doing that with the non-technology things, meaning our bodies and our physical routines. And so in a future episode, I'm going to be speaking with the CEO on agility and having an agile approach to things. So today, which is not a pun on the word, for this episode, but um, I guess what I wanted to find out for us who are listening all around the world, because we've got people in all sorts of different cultures who join us on this podcast, but we all have the same issue of we all intrinsically want to do better at work and we just sometimes don't know how to get there. All right, Jack, so what are the big four problems, uh, physically speaking, that are facing workplaces all around the world? All right. So number one, I would say is taking a macro view and knowing thyself, knowing yourself, knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you uh, in order to get the best out of yourself. I'd say number two would be fuel or the incorrect fuel, um, hydration, nutrition and supplementation, not just for physical, but mental and uh, intellectual performance. Problem three would be a lack of exercise and rest, uh, and they're inextricable from each other, um, getting the right type of exercise and the right rest. And number four would be managing pain. So knowing how to prevent pain, knowing who to see, when to see, and having the right people around you to be able to manage things when they come up. Great. So these these four things, right, these are the four really major things that you see a lot uh, when they when they walk in literally to your clinic every day. So do you think these big four things are only just for Western cultures or do they, do they apply to every workplace around the world, do you think? Oh, every workplace, absolutely. Um, when it comes to knowing yourself, um, one size does not fit all. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gurus, there's a lot of hacks out there and, and not everything will work for you regardless of culture, environment, nationality. And so knowing yourself, knowing your environment, that you're in the culture that you're in and what's going to work best um, is the, the first place to start from its foundation principles. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's go and unpack all of these four um, big issues um, each individually just so we can give it the proper attention they need. So you've, you've just beautifully led into um, issue one, which is not knowing yourself. And, you know, I'm... I'm you know, not a baby anymore. I'm 33. But in a lot of ways, I still feel like I'm discovering um, how I work best. And I think that will never change. I think I'll, I'll always be thinking of, oh, wow, I didn't realize I could improve that or, you know, I did that well. Or So when it comes to, as you say, knowing thyself, this is really like a, a, a fluid thing, really, isn't it? So in, in um, relation to doing an audit of ourselves, how do we do that? How do we do an audit and, and know ourselves? Yeah, look, self-awareness really is the game. Um, I think it's what sets apart the the creme de la creme um, is that they know who they are, they know what works and what doesn't. So the biggest thing would be to test and measure each different little hack that you might try, whether it's what we talk about today or somewhere else um, through your other guests, but trying certain things for a test period, assessing whether they work or whether they didn't, 
and then keeping them or scrapping them. Um, so often we have this massive big lineup of routines or rituals or hacks, and we're not sure what's working and what's not. And you wouldn't do that. You know, you wouldn't expect a doctor to be trialing certain things on you, not knowing whether they work or not. Let's hope not. <laughs> well, you'd hope not, wouldn't you? <laughs> it does happen, but usually illegally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so knowing what works for you and what doesn't uh, for your body, your personality type, um, what works for your emotional state is super important. So in our quest to knowing ourselves, um, which we just discussed is important, a lot of us are going to start um, as a bit of a shock to you on the internet. <laughs> Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Google. And um, this is where, you know, like um, WebMD and all that sends people into spins thinking they've got cancer and it's actually just like a stubbed toenail. <laughs> but um, I just want to just, I guess, empower our listeners to go, you know what, I'm going to take some critical thinking approaches to internet advice. So what can you say to people when they're reading uh, advice on the internet and not seeing it in the shape of like one size fits all? How do we know whether this is solid advice? Yeah, good question. And that word is really important, critical thinking. Um, as a health professional, we look at evidence or we look at claims um, through the lens of different levels of evidence. And so the first thing you want to look at is the fruit around someone's life. Um, has it worked for someone else before um, or are they just trying to sell you a really cheap and easy gimmick? Um, different levels of evidence in a health sense. Um, we look at case studies as being a really low level of evidence. Um, so you want to look at something that's been tested in a controlled environment against a placebo, and that is going to tell you whether something works or not. So, Can you just jump in and explain what a placebo might be to some people? Sure. So a placebo is something um, like taking a sugar pill for cancer. It's something that has no effect, but... Um, Psychological effect, though. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So, which is important, nonetheless, you know, placebos are can be a good thing. But if we're talking about different techniques or um, tools or methods, you want to know that they've been tested against something else and that they're better than the alternative. Absolutely. Um, so, looking at things critically and then um, looking at the other people who have used it. So, testimonials um, are really good. So you want to look at things that have been funded by independent parties that don't have a vested interest in the outcome. You want as pure results as you can. And so unfunded testimonials, unfunded reviews, um, studies that have been independently looked at are really important. And having those forums to discuss things. So whether it's your network, your circle of connections, or you can um, ask questions in a different environment from someone who doesn't have a vested interest in the outcome and getting some advice, that's really helpful. Um, having those that circle of network that those trusted advisors are really helpful in sifting the wheat from the chaff so to speak yeah that's important thing to note there is that you're having a, like a board of directors in your own life just for issues of of health almost absolutely you, we've all got blind spots nathan we've all got areas in our life where um, either we can't see or we look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses you might think you're healthy uh, you might think you're doing something in a healthy and efficient way but those around you whether physically or virtually can see those areas of your life that you can't see yourself and so i would say knowing thyself and having trust trusted people in your life that you can lean on for accountability, for encouragement and for critical thinking is really important. Yeah, I think you've got to rely on others, whether we think we can do it on our own or not. There comes a point when we do need to, I guess, acknowledge our, our interdependence on others, not dependence on others, but interdependence, which is more healthy, I think. Absolutely. And health is very holistic. Health is done in community. To be isolated in and of itself is unhealthy. And so leaning on each other, super important. 
All right, so let's move on to issue number two. This is the second biggest thing that faces workplaces and the um, effectiveness of people at work, um, and that's incorrect fuel. But before you answer, can I just say that you brought me a double shot latte before we <laughs> before we walked in under this interview on a very cold Monday morning. So tell us, Jack, unpack the idea of this incorrect fuel. All right, so as um, performers in our workplace, we want to treat ourselves like athletes. Um, I look at athletes as a really good example of peak performance. Um, they do their sport or their chosen endeavor as professionals. And uh, if we're in our workplaces and we want to exceed, we want to win, we want to dominate our industry, whatever that looks like for you, you need to think of yourself like an athlete. And if you ask any elite athlete, we see plenty of them coming through our clinics. And so fuel, hydration, nutrition, supplementation really are those that give us exponential rewards. And so if you're looking at the 1% as the thing that give you an edge over your competition, it's the stuff that you put in that will determine what you get out. Fuel is a really complicated thing, right? So right. Um, in the more meta sense of fuel, it kind of seems insane that I would go and spend thousands of dollars on fueling my mind, right? I go to conferences, seminars, summits, right. do webinars, put money into courses. But then when it comes to the physiological side of things, we neglect the quality fuel that, that we need. So even just from a very small perspective, well, there's small things that we can do this week. And what's one thing that people could do to get the right fuel? into them this week. All right, so let's talk about hydration first. That's a really easy win for a lot of people. So we know that we all need about two and a half liters of water a day to uh, keep us alive, really, or at least keep us functioning optimally. And a 1% decrease in hydration can often mean a 10% decrease in performance. But when we talk about hydration, again, the quality of water is really important. Now and this is getting complicated. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be super complicated. I think uh, hydration has been bastardized in a lot of ways by... Again, companies, um, Gatorade and Powerade, those types of brands that lead us to believe we need their particular product to be hydrated well. Mm. The truth is they've, they haven't sold us a lie, but they've sold us a half truth. Um, a lot of these um, products that supplement our hydration often have some of the nutrients we need, but not all. So when it comes to hydration, what you need to think about is your blood, right? Hydration is adding water to our blood. But blood isn't purely water. Blood is made up of water and electrolytes. And so just giving ourselves three, four, five liters a day of water isn't proper hydration. It's actually dilution. True hydration involves um, the extra nutrients and electrolytes that come along. Electrolytes is just a fancy word for salts. Things like magnesium, sodium, chloride, calcium, and potassium. They're the big five. And what these uh, well-known um companies like Gatorade do is their products have, um, you know, sodium and chloride and calcium in them, but they neglect two of the biggest hydration electrolytes that we need, magnesium and potassium. Magnesium, uh, my understanding, is really great for muscles. Correct. So magnesium is brilliant for muscles. It helps avoid cramping. Um, it helps our long-term endurance and performance. And potassium in a similar way. Potassium and magnesium work hand-in-hand -hand together on a cellular level. And we don't need to get into the cellular level. But what you do need to know is that you need an effective balance of those five electrolytes. Magnesium, potassium, sodium, chloride, and calcium. And to just have um, things like Gatorade that have sodium and chloride, or which is table salt, sodium and chloride, to just have those three at the expense of other two of the other two is going to dilute your blood and therefore decrease your performance or at least give you an imbalance and you're not going to perform optimally. 
Yeah, right. So I guess it's it's kind of a situation where we need to drink a bit more, but then also if we do go and buy a supplement drink, um, read the label, I guess, is probably a good, good place yeah, to start. Yeah, absolutely. And again, seek out the right information. Find a product that has magnesium and potassium in it. It's On the label, it's going to be MG or K. They're the uh, the periodic table um, symbols for those, those products. Make sure that you've got something that is a well-rounded product that is going to give you the, the hydration that you need, but also the electrolyte balance. Yeah, that's really important. And I think we need to be smart about the hydration, not just think we're doing the right thing by chugging liters and liters of water from the water cooler. Another thing I'd say on that, Nathan, is think of hydration like pumping up your tires. When we sleep, we sweat, we get dehydrated. Um, and so when we wake up in the morning, the last thing you want to do is roll your car out of the garage on flat tires. Think of hydration as constantly pumping up your tires, keeping you inflated for the day. And we know our tires perform best when they're inflated properly. Our bodies, our minds, we function best when we're hydrated properly. And we sometimes get to the point where it's too late uh, with hydration and we only hydrate when we're feeling dehydrated. It's too late. Yeah, exactly. So let's maybe skip that and go and get hydrated before we end up with the slump. Absolutely. The first thing in the morning is the best time to get hydrated. Drink a cup or two of water the first thing when you wake up and you'll be amazed. It'll probably give you more of a kick than uh, that double shot latte you've got sitting (laughs) next to you. Okay, well, I'm not going to give up that latte. Let's just do both, hey? (laughs) All right, well, let's now have a bit of a look at, um, I guess, the biggest challenge challenge of workplaces, which is number four, managing pain. So you talk about it being um, a situation where we can create prevention, but also, you know, we can do some things to also cradle some pains that people already have as existing conditions. But let's first of all, look at prevention. So where, where do we start? You know, like workplaces, it's costing billions in, uh, in back pain alone. So um, how can we start by preventing pain? Uh, prevention of pain. Yeah, you're right. Look, back pain is the number one burden of disease globally and in a number of developed countries. And so uh, preventing things like back pain is from an economic standpoint alone, a really good investment from a um, from ec- economic standpoint, but also from yourself. If you're going to be limited with sick days throughout the year because of pain, you're limiting your efficiency. Uh, so prevention is huge. I would say that um, Exercise. Well, we know, I wouldn't say we know that exercise is the number one best prevention tool for back pain specifically. Um, and so the right type of exercise is really important. Um, I want to bust a couple of myths really quickly, if that's all right. So we talk about having a core in inverted commas, um, you know, those, those abs in that six pack. And I want to say that having a six pack isn't the only way to prevent back pain. What's really important is- Can that- I just say that that's a really big relief for me? I, I feel like I don't have to have a six pack <laughs> no, now. You and me both. Um, and so looking for the right types of exercise that teach us to move in a functional way. So I don't remember the last time I had to do a crunch and get up at work from the floor. So for me, a crunch or a sit up isn't an effective functional exercise, but squatting, getting up and down out of our chair a lot or lifting and carrying, putting things up over our head, bending down, picking stuff up off the floor. They're the functional exercises that we need to be doing in order to um, build strength that is functional and relative to the workplace. The main point here, I think, well, this is what I'm hearing, is that we're, we're sometimes doing the exercises which are not relevant to the ergonomic situations we find ourselves in. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to find something that's relative to what you do. So if you spend a lot of time sitting at a desk or a computer, then you want to do things that are relative to those postures, just like someone who's a, a worker out on the roads wants to do things like digging and lifting and carrying. 
Exactly. So just on this issue of posture then, so what are some simple things that we can do this week, like maybe uh, even today? Like what can we do in terms of even the just small things like the layout out of our office or just posture with us sitting in a chair? So what can we do now? There is so much to be done um, and this gets me really excited. So the first thing, the mantra that I want you to take away from today would be that movement is medicine. Motion is lotion. And so movement is the key. Um, let me just say that standing desks are not a magic bullet. Actually, in all things, there's no magic bullet. Of course. Um, and so you want to incorporate a whole lot of elements. So move. When it comes to having a, st- I would say a standing desk or a desk that is modifiable um, is a really good investment. But to stand for two or three hours on end, if you haven't stood in a long time, is a surefire way to end up with a sore back. What I would suggest is changing really regularly. So you want to change postures every 20 minutes. Go from sitting to standing. Stand for 20 minutes, then sit for 20 minutes. Sitting isn't of itself a bad thing. Sitting for long periods is. Yeah, and can I just say that some people demonize sitting. And and I think, um, you know, these days people are saying, you know, um, sitting in the office place is now the new smoking. <laughs> I've, I've heard that repeatedly, and I think that's unfair. And particularly to employers who are listening to this and thinking, you know, oh, great, how do I serve my employees better? But everyone's at kind of like workstations where we can't you know, always have standing seats, uh, standing um, desks rather for them to change every 20 minutes, you know? Yeah, that's right. Look, we, we do have to sit and sitting is okay done in small bursts. The truth is um, we're not designed to sit for long periods, but when we do sit and if we have to sit, let's do it well. So a couple of things around your posture at work, I would say that having your chair high enough is a really big, um, or sorry, having your chair low enough or too low is a problem we see. So to fix that, lift your chair up so that your hip crease is above your knees. That would be one of the first things I would suggest to look at. And you might need to therefore change the height of your desk. So a lot of these things are cumulative, you know, fixing one problem leads to another problem, etc. So let's get our chair up first. So your hip crease is higher than your knees and your feet are flat on the floor below your knees. That's the first place to start. Tucking your feet underneath your chair, not great. Just like resting your feet out in front and sort of propping yourself up on your heels isn't ideal either. Um, So from there, we want to sit on the edge of our chair, if we can, um, like you and I are doing here today. Oh, you're doing better than I am, by the way. But we want to sit on the edge of our chair. And what this does, it, it gets us to roll forward. So we're not sitting on our tailbone. We're trying to roll forward so that we're not sitting on our tailbone. Gets you, gives you a bit of a lumbar curve and helps. You'll probably notice it if you're doing it in your work chair or your car as you drive now. It gets you to sit up a bit more upright. So we want hips nice and high, sitting on the edge of our chair. And then we want a little bit of tension in our shoulder blades. What we see is a problem where people um, let their shoulder blades relax and round forward and you get that typical rounded posture. By the same token, I don't want people squeezing their shoulder blades so tight they end up cramping between their shoulder blades or in their upper back. We want just a little bit of tension. We talk about, in the gym, we talk about matching tension to task. And so if you're going to pick up something that's 100 kilos, which is a really heavy task, you need 100% tension, right? So it's 100% effort, 100% tension. If we're sitting at a desk and we're not doing a lot, it might only be a 10 or 20% physical effort. What I'm suggesting is 10 to 20% tension between your shoulder blades. Just pull them back a little bit. 
And I would say that's also influenced by the position of the of the keyboard relative to right. our, um, you know, how close it is to right. our to our body. So, should it be a position where our elbows, sorry, our forearms rather, are kind of like, um, I guess, adjacent to our body, or how should they be placed? Good. So we want our elbows just a little bit higher than our wrists just a little bit higher. So again, you might need to work on the combination of the height of your desk and the height of your chair to get the optimal position. Um, we want to make sure that our elbows are in and tucked into our ribs. So we often see um, what is commonly known as RSI or repetitive strain injuries in shoulders and elbows from desks that are not optimized properly. So elbows a little bit higher than your wrists and you want your elbows tucked in. And this goes for anything, Nathan, whether it's sitting at a desk or carrying the groceries in from your car, lifting something in the backyard, always think about keeping your elbows in and you'll, you'll find that as you tense your shoulder blades up a little bit, your elbows naturally come in. Elbows inside your wrists is the optimal position for your shoulders. And because when we're carrying a load, I guess the, the leverage um, compounds the further away from our um, center of gravity That's um, right. it goes. So yeah. the closer you are to your center of gravity and also the more external rotation we have. So what that means is when you're carrying the groceries, for instance, you don't want to drag your knuckles forward like a monkey because we're not monkeys. We want to bring your elbows in and palms up is always a better way to move. So that's why you might find things like an upright mouse is more comfortable because we're not, palms down isn't always an optimal posture. Moving towards a palm up posture is much better for our elbows and shoulders. That's great. And that's also relative to travel. So a lot of our listeners um, are people who find themselves in planes a lot. And something that I was taught um, a while ago, I can't even remember why I found out, but when I when I carry a suitcase or, or, or roll and pull a suitcase, I was told to just, just flip my wrist so that um, uh, palm up. And then, so for example, if um, the suitcase wheels goes over something, it will release out of my hand rather than pulling my wrist. Exactly right. And that's been a really a small, like this whole podcast is about, you know, a simple thing, but it had a really significant, significant outcome. So we've just covered prevention, right? So we've talked about how we can get ahead of ourselves and prevent pain from occurring. So what about those of us who have a pre-existing condition or there's something that's happened and uh, we need to not just nurse it, but we need to like, I guess, find a way to work in a way that is going to heal and maintain um, yeah. that injury. So yeah, we're talking about triggers here. When to do something? When is something going from right to not right? So the first thing I would suggest is that discomfort is not always a bad thing. Pain is. And so discomfort, you know, something that's three to five out of 10 uncomfortable is normally a good thing. So standing, for instance, could be a little bit uncomfortable if you initially get a standing desk or having a walking meeting might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Three, four out of 10 uncomfortable is a good thing. Um, leaning into discomfort is a really good thing. When something becomes painful, five, six, seven out of 10 and stays painful for more than three days, that's when it's time to do something, you know, something that. Uh, is painful but gets better within a day or two the body's really good at healing itself within a couple of days but if it is prolonged more than three days it's time to do something about it yeah and i think it's really important to take notice of red flags it's really good to be able to like you said get to that threshold of discomfort before it becomes pain but also then revisit um, this issue number one that we discussed which is know thyself so if you're going to get into a, um, a situation at work where um, you're doing things because you want to make changes but then you find it's uncomfortable write a note so you don't end up reinventing that same wheel next week yeah great and it's an important distinction between acute pain or new pain versus 
is long-standing chronic pain. So something that's new should get better within two or three days. If it doesn't, time to see someone. If we talk about people who have dealt with pain for long periods of time, back pain is is a long-standing issue. And a really important thing around the evidence of pain at the moment is not just the physical aspects, but the psychological and emotional impacts on pain. If you have a really stressful day, if things at home aren't going well for you, if you're emotionally down, your pain is going to be amplified. And so it's really important to be conscious of that and be mindful and present when you're thinking about your pain. You might have a really sore back, but when you take a chance to step back from it, it's actually just because things at home aren't going well and the bank balance is screaming at you and the kids aren't sleeping and that can really compound the effect of pain. Yeah, those are very, very um, important and um, very, I guess, influential factors on pain. And the other thing that we discussed a little bit earlier, you were saying pain in itself is not a bad thing, provided we pay attention to it. Right. So I think pain is really something that we need to partner with and be a friend with. And as bizarre as that sound sounds, it's kind of a situation where... I know for me, if I've done something and it causes pain, I almost say to myself, okay, thanks thanks for that. I've received that message. Yep. So I now have a choice. Either I can change something because I've received this pain signal or B, I can be angry at it, you know, and- Spot on. Yeah, and not, you know, be disempowered and not actually do anything about correcting it. Pain is the warning signal of our body. And so- Let's talk about chronic pain, long-standing pain that people have had for a long time. Just because something hurts doesn't necessarily mean there's something physically wrong. Um, Just because your back hurts might not mean that you've got a torn muscle or a blown disc in inverted commas. Um, Just a side note, discs don't blow. Um, We can talk about lumbar discs if you like. They bulge, don't they? Well, they they can bulge a little bit. Think of them like fluid sacs. They're, They're very sturdy things and they actually heal more often than not. So having long-standing back pain isn't necessarily a sign of tissue damage. And this is where going to see someone who's going to give you effective advice is really helpful. So when you go and see someone, if you've had long-standing pain, we know that the most effective treatments are those that help deal with your emotional and mental state, believe it or not, and are active. So that is you physically doing something. So managing symptoms might mean going to get a massage or passive treatments where you go and you do nothing, you lay on a couch for half an hour and someone manipulates you. That feels good at the time, Nathan, but it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't solve the underlying cause of the pain. Might give you symptomatic relief, but it's probably more cost efficient just to pop a couple of paracetamol. Um, Passive treatment doesn't work for long-standing back pain. If anything, it perpetuates the pain cycle and creates a dependency on others to solve something that you need to deal with yourself. We know that the best solutions for long-standing pain are active. That is you being involved actively in the process. Things like the right type of exercise, the right volume of exercise, and the right advice around your thought patterns when you have a pain episode. How you respond to that is really important. And so I would suggest that if you've got a long-standing problem, finding a health professional that could be your not just guru hands, but trusted advisor is one of the most important keys. And that's a really good distinction to make. Someone who's actually a trusted advisor because they've got runs on their board and they're accredited, but they're not just trying to sell you something. Correct. In this day and age, the evidence suggests that when you go and see someone with a chronic issue, they shouldn't actually lay hands on you. It's going to perpetuate your problem. You need to find someone who can sift through the advice. And again, it comes back to knowing thyself, right? Find the right approach and the right treatment for you 
advise you on the right exercise, the right postures, the right things to be doing for your particular presentation. Man, there's so much great advice um, in this session here that we've heard from you. So I'm aware of your time. So let's just um, finish off by recapping and then looking at some things that we can implement today, right? So the big four um, challenges facing workplaces are one, people not knowing themselves properly, two, using the incorrect fuel, three, not exercising enough and resting enough, and also number four, managing pain properly. And as we round out this um, session together, what are some things that um, we can do um, as listeners for free and also for a little bit of cost? Oh, look, there's so many things to do for free. And sometimes that's the catch, right? So what I would suggest, find one or two things that you can try, test, see if it works for you, measure the results objectively, and then either keep it or scrap it. But a couple of quick changes that you can implement straight away would be tweaks to your your hydration. So drinking enough water and adding in some electrolytes. It's basically uh, free, very cost effective, or simple things like adding in some lemon to your water is a really good way to do that. Um, Getting the right amount of sleep for you and the right type of sleep. So um, having a dark room, limiting screen time, or putting night mode on your screens before you go to sleep, uh, and getting the right volume of sleep. So for me, I know that any more than seven hours, is too much. So I limit myself to only seven hours or less. Um, And then postures. So changing your posture every 20 minutes. Go from sitting to standing every 20 minutes. Get up and go for a walk to the printer. Have the printer far enough away that you have to walk to it. Um, Walking to get some water. Having standing meetings or walking meetings are all really easy, free or cheap ways to get started. So Jack, you mentioned in the pre-interview chat that you want to be able to help people to get started. So you've been generous enough to offer a free video consult. Can you just tell us what that is? Yeah, so it's essentially a physiotherapy consult over the interwebs. Um, we can, we've got the technology now to be able to do some one-on-one consulting um, to help you work out what your main problem is, give you some quick tips and tricks to solve the problem relative to you, and then a plan to get on top of it. Great. So if you want to do that, listeners, just go ahead to uh, terracephysioplus.com.au and get in touch with Jack and the team there and mention this podcast for a free video consult. Well, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. And I know that a lot of people are going to be helped by this episode. And we really do look forward to um, seeing people improve and um, also hope that people will connect with you online. So thanks very much, Jack. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining me on this episode with Jack. You can discover even more about this subject over at nathantudor.com slash blog slash 24. And there you'll find a text version of the interview as well as some little extras like some videos and some other things to inspire you, to help you, to make some really simple changes even starting this week. And I want to encourage you to also check out a related episode on this podcast a couple back with Andrew Bassett. And that one was about commit to fit and that's all about creating a plan and getting past the roadblocks to getting into fitness to start with so go and check that one out and also on the website you can find that at episode 21 so thanks again have an amazing week and do something simple this week to create a significant outcome thanks for joining us today to connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash Nathan Shooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at Nathan Shooter. We also invite you to comment, ask questions and subscribe to the email editions at NathanShooter.com.